Happy New Year and welcome to Defines. I'm your host Peter McCormack and today I have an interview with Janice Avaka Daza, a Bolivian human rights activist, and we discuss the recently ousted socialist president Evo Morales and the resulting political crisis. Now, Evo Morales is a polarising figure in Bolivia and his attempt to run in the 2019 election in what would have been his fourth term as president has caused wide-scale unrest. And following the military calls for his resignation, Morales was granted political asylum in Mexico and is now in Argentina. Now, this story represents how difficult it can be to find objective truth in a story. I was approached to interview Janice to talk about the political crisis in Bolivia, but when doing my research and putting it out on Twitter, that I was looking into this story, I started to get people reaching out to me who appear to be from two clear camps. Now, there are the supporters of Evo who believe he followed a judicial process and was removed as part of a US coup, and there are those who are against Evo Morales who believe he had become an authoritarian leader and was abusing power. And it was very difficult to find objective truths to lead you into one side or the other. There's lots of misinformation, lots of misleading stories, and so, yes, this represents something that's quite difficult. I didn't find myself on either side coming down as a somebody who would support him or somebody who was against him. It's a very, very complicated story, but I've done my best to try and come to Janice with a fair set of questions, but I do welcome any feedback. If you've got any questions you do want to talk to me about the show, do reach out to me. My email is peter at defiance.news. But before we get into the interview, I do need to thank my sponsor, Kraken, the best place to buy Bitcoin, consistently rated the best and most secure cryptocurrency exchange. Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy, sell, and trade Bitcoin. Are you a Bitcoiner? If not, and you would like to learn more about Bitcoin, then please do check out my other show, What Bitcoin Did, which Kraken also sponsors. Bitcoin is a decentralized peer-to-peer digital currency without any central authority. By not having any controlling party required to validate transactions, Bitcoin is both trustless and permissionless. It is an opt-out of government fuckery. And as Edward Snowden said, Bitcoin is freedom. Find out more at kraken.com, which is K-R-A-K-E-N.com. Also, if you are enjoying Defiance and you want to support the show, there's a number of things you can do. You can leave me a review on iTunes and subscribe to the show. You can follow me on social media at Peter McCormack and you can share it out with your friends and family. The reason why we fight is to draw attention to issues and to fix it. Resilient. Resolute. Defiant in the face of impossible odds. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money. Hundreds of protesters turned out singing Glory to Hong Kong, an anthem of defiance. Right. Perfect. And is it, is it pronounced Janice? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I was uh, up front, I was saying Johannes? <laughs> because I, did, I didn't, uh, Johannes, I didn't, and they told me yesterday. Yeah, it's so. very complicated. Right. Uh, how was your flight? It was good. It was. I got to sleep a lot, which I haven't done lately. So. Well, you've been busy. Yeah, a lot of work. Right. So Happy work. So I should let me let me try and explain my Bolivian journey mm-hmm. <laughs> from being broadly no, let's say being slightly aware of something happening in Bolivia as much as I was aware of something's happening in Chile and. You know, other parts of it, but not to the level of what I was aware of, say, in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. I was just aware something was going on to Alex Gladstein, our mutual friend, getting in touch and saying, you've got to interview Janice. To then thinking, OK, I need to do some research. So some initial research. And my first round of research was like, oh, well, this kind of cool president who did a lot of, you know, a bit of a socialist, which I'm not, but did a lot of cool stuff. for uh, Poor people brought a lot of people out of poverty. 
you know, he's kind of been kicked out for staying too long. Seems like, uh, you know, maybe he was a bit of an authoritarian to coming out here, spending time with your team. By the way, thank you so much. Amazing team. And really seeing their passion to then sharing online that I'm here mm-hmm. and what I'm up to and having some information come back to me. And I should tell you a tweet I wrote today and then we can get into things. So I put a tweet out that said, bear with me. Okay, actually two tweets. So firstly, I saw an interview that came out on my timeline actually with Evo Morales that said, Evo Morales explains why he was toppled in a US-backed military coup, his crimes being indigenous, reducing extreme poverty, nationalizing Bolivia's resources, kicking out transnational corporations, and most importantly, moving towards nationalizing the lithium. (coughs) And after my experience yesterday, I was like, that doesn't sound That's what I've experienced. That's not happened yeah. in the ground. Welcome to Bolivia. Well, let me tell you my response. So I, I retweeted it, a little test. Mm-hmm. I'm in Bolivia now, as ever, finding objective truth is hard still. Evo defied a referendum for an additional term. Strong evidence of vote rigging. Reckless response to forest fires, which cost lives. And obviously I met Alan. You met Alan. Told me about Pablo, which was very emotional. So I put that out. See, I still get like, ah, the fire things. And I guess you've seen it with a team. It's a very sensitive subject for all of us. Yeah, and I uh, can't remember his name, but I met the guy who is a professional volunteer firefighter. who was his, Yeah, he was his commander. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about it last night, and he mentioned how he worked. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm aware of Pablo. And he said, yeah, I commanded him. And that was a kind of like a privately emotional moment. Like I could recognize what he had been through. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was tough. But let, let me just take this, sorry, I'm doing a long intro. I don't normally do this. So I, I then got a flood of information, replies, responses, and people sending me information. And so I, let me tell you what I then tweeted out. When attempting to report on a subject, the weight of information warfare is staggering, specifically regarding Bolivia, where I am now. Eva Morales fell for tyranny and abused power. Or, Evo Morales is the victim of a US-led coup. Navigating complicated topics include contradictory news reports, social media misinformation, pressure sliding into my DMs, allegations without evidence, opinion bias, subjective interpretation of facts. The power struggle drives information warfare. So, I've not come to a conclusion since while I'm here. Mm -hmm. I've just seen a whole weight of evidence and it's been very hard to navigate. I can only imagine. And I wish we could have more time so I could have brought you to La Paz because I would like you to hear from people in El Alto who had a very different story from what Standing Rivers has to say. And I think that's one of the things that I've, I've been trying to tell international media, that we are a very plural and very complex country. So it's not only, there's not just two sides of the story in Bolivia, there are many sides to the story and it has to do with how plural we are. Um, I don't know if plural is a word in English, but you you get what I mean. And it's what I can tell you, though, is that we've been, I mean, Standing Rivers, we've been accused of working for the Empire and all of this stuff. And I think you've met the team yesterday. Clearly, we are just working with what we have. And it's a bunch of beautiful volunteer people. And I'm so happy that you got to meet Mm -hmm. uh, some of the firefighters as well. So it's... um, What bothers me is that I feel like a lot of people in the international community has tried to use Bolivia as a very useful tool within a certain narrative that has already been debated in their own countries, whether it's about being right versus left, where it's about different kinds of 
debates that are happening. And it's for me, it's unfair to reduce something so complex as like what's happened in Bolivia just to fix the right versus left narrative, for example, that's such a strong uh, debate right now in the Western world. When what's happened in Bolivia, it was not a right versus left kind of thing because there were many people, leftists, I consider myself one, who were protesting against Morales because this was about abuse of power and abuse of human rights. And that goes beyond ideology. And obviously now you see a very strong right-wing comeback with leaders from the right that are going to run for presidency and that are campaigning really hard. And I can see how from the international community they look at that and they think, oh my God, this was all like a right-wing US-supported coup. But in reality, by doing that, you're deleting the voices of, for example, indigenous leaders or environmental groups or feminist groups who are clearly on the left who also took part in this protest. And that have their own voice and their own story of how they've been affected by the Morales regime. And that's another thing, like there's this, it's called fetichismo in Spanish, I don't know how to say it in English, but there's this thing about Morales being indigenous, it's like he was untouchable, like you couldn't say anything against him in the international community. In Bolivia, Morales was not the first or the only indigenous leader we've ever had. There are many amazing indigenous leaders that we have right now, Alex Vilca is one of them, he's part of Sending Rivers. And by deleting all of his crimes just by looking at the fact that he was indigenous, you were silencing the vast majority of Bolivians who are also indigenous and were complaining against him. So I think that was also very unfair. But, um, I mean, I'm not here to tell you about the many, many unfair things that have been done to Bolivians. No. I want to talk about the positives and the things that we can do now, how we want to construct our democracy. I'm very aware that dialogue and reconciliation is necessary in Bolivia right now. Mm -hmm. And that's what Standing Rivers is going to aim to work towards, among many other things. We still have to work on the municipality in Santa Cruz. And I don't know. It's I know it's a very complex situation. We've lived, we've lived it firsthand, but I'm very happy that you got to meet the team and see who they are and how they work. And that clearly there's no Star Wars empire handling us from behind because if they did maybe we would have had better equipment to fight the fires and we wouldn't have lost people well also i got to meet uh, ronaldo who Yay. Um, isn't really part of the team is he he's just a friend of yours yeah and actually i got a slightly different perspective mm -hmm. from him but what i want to do is i want to be conscious of who's listening i've always my always my approach is that uh, i want to take a story to people who almost don't know anything mm -hmm. because i think anyone who knows this story well i've read about it a lot already but i think that a lot of people just won't know hardly anything so one of the things i think it might be useful was just to you know as quickly but as respectfully tell the history of eva morales in terms of when he came to power the change to the constitution mm -hmm. why he had three terms why there is a term let, let's let's cover those things okay. so people understand the background so they, then when we start talking about the fourth election and also the Supreme Court ruling, they'll understand the build-up. Yeah. So I think I think the best thing is just to kind of summarise... I'll leave you to do it. I mean, obviously, I know some now. But if you can summarise kind of his... how he came to power and how we... I, I guess if you take me up to the point of... take me up to the point of the third election. Okay. And then we can deal with the referendum and the fourth election. Okay. So um, I was... 12 years old when Evo Morales came into power I was very young and despite of the fact that I was very young I was very aware and I am even more aware now 
that um, he represented a change that was very necessary. The mass party itself at first, and I know some Bolivians may not agree with me, but I think it was a beautiful project because uh, Bolivia had been ruled by this, uh, we were in a democracy, but it was a democracy where the elites kind of took different bits of power and then there was still no, no space for the minorities to take any place. So uh, indigenous people had been very abused and disrespected in our history Although there have been some changes at the beginning of the 90s, the marches that, that happened in defense of the territory. Uh, the first one happened in 92, if I'm correct. There was some sort of vindication of indigenous rights. And this is the way that Morales kind of writes, because Morales at first didn't identif identify himself as an indigenous leader. He identified himself as a coca grower, and he was a leader of the coca growers union in Chapare. It's very important to understand that there are two two parts geographically in Bolivia where you can grow coca. One is the Yungas, which is where um, where they make the coca. I'm drinking coca tea right now, by the way. <laughs> That's the coca that you can use for tea, for medicines, and for that kind of uh, work. And then there's the coca from Chapare, which according to UN studies, 97% of it, I believe, goes to narco-traffic directly. Because that coca plant you can't it doesn't it doesn't serve a purpose for chewing right no it doesn't serve a purpose for chewing for for tea for medicine because it's the leaf is too big and mm -hmm. it's too acid i believe yeah it's, it's to do see you'll see my research now it's to do with the 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 soil apparently mm -hmm. this was what i was told it's to do with the soil yeah and i i would like to clarify that like my parents for example they acullican that's the word that we use in bolivia for chewing coca and like, I drink, you just saw me, I just got here after mm -hmm. a 12 hours flight and the first thing I asked for was coca tea. Like, it's nothing, there's nothing against coca growers. Actually, I would really love it if coca tea was legal across the world. Thank you. But Morales grew as a leader of the coca growers union. And then when the mass party came into power, and we know this because many of the people in standing growers, uh, you may have met some of them yesterday, are sons and daughters of people that began the mass party before Evo was a part of it even and and before Alvaro was a part of it as well the vice president so um, when the mass comes into power they represent my father supported them for example they represented a change that was necessary and they brought pro positive things with them that I, we as standing rivers want to rescue such as respect for indigenous people and vindication of indigenous rights and then the constitution happens in 2007 which if you read it it's such a beautiful constitution because it recognizes rights in a way that i believe very few constitutions recognize for indigenous people in different parts of the world was this following his first election this was during his first election during he comes, his first, yeah. he's elected in 2005 he does however I'm, I, I was forgetting to mention something. He blocks and he protests across the country for months violently, which is what causes the previous government to resign. So he comes into power, funnily enough, in a very similar way as to how he has left now, except this time we were nonviolent, which is why he makes fun of us and the piditas, the little ropes that we use to protest. And when he comes into power, he represents things that were necessary. But soon enough, like I remember 2007, he's elected in 2005, becomes president in 2006, does good things during his first year, I remember that. And then in 2007, we have the Constituent Assembly. And that's the first time that I, for example, remember thinking this is not okay. okay. Because during the Constituent Assembly in Sucre, the city where I was born, they changed the location of where the assembly was supposed to have a session without letting opposition uh, party know. 
So it was only the mass party voting on how they wanted the constitution to take place. And they started, they had the session in a military building, which is not legal and it's not democratic. You're not meant to create a constitution on a military establishment. And when people started protesting, most of them young university students, I wasn't allowed to go on the street at first because I was too young, they get shot. And I clearly, clearly remember seeing the minister Rada which, with snipers on the hills pointing at people and telling the snipers who they had to shoot. And they killed three people during those protests. It was a very, very bloody, it was called uh, Noviembre Negro, Black November for us. And then after that happened, there was complete impunity. There was never an investigation as to who killed these people because three people died. I believe a couple others lost an eye or an arm or a hand. A couple people um, are now in wheelchairs forever. And there was absolutely no support. There was no justice. There was no investigation. And I was so young and I remember that I couldn't believe that I had seen with my own eyes the minister pointing at people to get shot. And then there was absolutely no investigation. And everyone just went back to their normal lives. So um, that really marked me. And I think other people have had other experiences And when they were young, where they saw this kind of injustice during the Morales government, again, impunity was constant during ab human rights abuses under his government. The Chaparina case in 2011, for example, it was a protest, a march led by indigenous people that were asking for respect of this indigenous territory, that they were essentially going to break into two to create a road through it, a road that's going to that was going to be four times as expensive as it should have normally been and that curiously enough was going to be very useful for coca growers in the Chapare to take the coca through that area to get it to arrive to make to Brazil easier so um, when they protested they were also very violently repressed they used tape around their wrists and mouths and they put them on a bus against their will and then they put them on an airplane against their will we still don't know where they were going to take these people and it was because the people in the in the little town where the airplane was they blocked the runway so that the airplane couldn't take off that in the end they didn't take the indigenous people away we don't know what they were going to do with them and again complete impunity actually the Sasha Llorenti, who is the minister who signed the papers for this to happen, he was the one that was representing Bolivia on the UN, on the Human Rights Commission. And I once tried to interview him and ask him about this, and he pointed at me and got really pissed off and left the room and canceled the press conference. So there's been so many occasions of human rights abuses that ended up with complete impunity, which, uh, which made people realize that Morales was not the hero we thought he was. And this happened for journalists, this happened for normal people, and for indigenous people as well, who were the most disappointed at a president that then proceeded to, for example, this is something that no one talks about, Morales' government is the first one to make it legal for hydrocarbon exploration and exploitation to happen within national um, areas, national protected indigenous areas, without any... and. Because of that, right now, out of the 22 national areas that we have that are green areas protected, all 22 of them are affected. So there were so many, and this is also something I find really funny, the international left sides with Morales so much, but if they looked at his policies, they were very aggressively right-wing. In Standing Rivers, we always say that this left is the best right we've ever had in the country. And, but he held a speech internationally of respect to human rights and respect to indigenous rights and environmental rights that allowed him to get away with this because they also ended up controlling most of the media. So reports of these human rights abuses were not getting out. 
And I only realized of this when I got scholarships, thankfully, and I got to study abroad. And I started telling my friends about how different human rights abuses happen in Bolivia. And no one believed me and no one knew. And that's when I realized, like, wait, something else is wrong because I already knew many things were wrong by then. So it's been progressively his government committed several human rights abuses that made people realize that he was not the person we were expecting him to be, that he actually betrayed all the principles that he supposedly stood for. But he was smart enough, and this is very important to mention, even if some people don't like it, that he he managed to get an agreement with the economical elites here in Santa Cruz, which is what I think allowed him to stay in power for so long. I mean, there are many other comp components as to why he managed to stay in power illegally for so many years. But that was a big one, a big, big one. Okay, so number of human rights abuses. You've obviously grown up with, I guess, a disdain for him. But let's take it through just so we cover the, uh, so take us up to the current situation. So he wins three terms, but you the third one... He was not meant to be a candidate on the third re-election because, because according the to the constitution limit. you can only be president twice in a row uh -huh. so when this happens he says that legally since we changed the constitution during his first term and the country was no longer a republic but a plurinational state it was like the country was born again therefore his first term doesn't count because it's a new country so this would be his second term in theory And uh, when he says this, there's an indigenous leader in the constitutional court. His name is Tatakusi Mamani. We always call Tata to our indigenous leaders. And Tatakusi, who's in the, say, the Supreme Court for Bolivia, the, the constitutional tribunal, he says that, no, that this is not legal, that that's a, not a correct interpretation of, of the constitution and that his third re-election is not legal. When he does this, the presidency, the government, goes on a press conference and says that there's absolutely no reason to take his opinion into account, even though he's in the Supreme Court, because he's an immoral person that has HIV and is a homosexual. So they oust him as an HIV uh, patient in national television, a person who is part of the Aymara indigenous group in a country that has very little knowledge of what HIV means and they make his life hell. They start uh, putting trials against him, they cut his uh, health care, they take him on a, not even a wheelchair, like on a, what's the name of like the beds in the hospital? Oh, yeah, I know, I know a hospital bed, yeah. They take him in a hospital bed to be trialed and to be condemned for fake accusations just because it was very dangerous for them to have an indigenous leader saying all of this. They make his life hell. Like this is one of the persons that has suffered the most during the Morales government. And eventually they get the rest by of the constitutional court to say, okay, yeah, you're right. So he goes into a third term again. He, I've But heard he kind of, it, pub, the public kind of accepts the third term, right? In a way, but you know, I, I thought that, but recently I've been explained that there was fraud in that election as well. I have, I don't have the proofs. He did have a lot of support because I may, may I add, unlike what the international community is saying, which is that there's a huge conspiracy of the political opposition in Bolivia. They're quite bad. The political opposition never really knew how to create, because um, the mass party, whether you like it or not, they had a very complete overview of what they wanted to do with the country and mm -hmm. where they wanted to take it. The political opposition was that they were opposition, they were fractured, and they never really managed to compel and like 
get the whole country to be in love with their vision of what Bolivia could be. So yeah, he still had support at this point, but then this is when the Tibnis Chaparina repression happens that I told you about, indigenous march repression. I think that's the tipping point when things start changing for him. Okay. And then we get to the referendum. Okay, so we get to the referendum, which was 2016, mm -hmm. I believe. February, February the 21st. 21st. Yeah, February. <laughs> and I saw the graffiti, the 21F, no Evo, all over the city. Mm -hmm. um, actually stopped Carolina, took, a, took me out and for lunch today, and I actually took a photo of one of them. Um, <laughs> so that's, I guess, aware that an election's coming a few years ahead. He calls the referendum early. Mm -hmm. because he's aware because he just won an election so he thinks he's very popular uh -huh. and he's counting on those votes to be able to say hey yeah you can be re-elected indefinitely but it's I guess look you know politics change constitutions change you know calling the referendum itself is fine let, let, the, let the people speak let the people right? decide yeah. let the people decide so he calls a referendum what's it like during so once he's called the referendum were the public aware it was coming? Had he discussed the idea? Um, they were. Okay. At this point, they were. Because, like I said, there had been many human rights abuses that had gone with complete impunity. So people had already seen how bad this government could get. Okay. Um, there's many other human rights abuses cases that I'm not even mentioning, which ended up with a lot of people dying, like uh, Hotel Las Americas, which was cataloged as a terrorism case, but it was a very complicated thing. Porvenir in El Pando... Um, Many, many other cases. But by this point, we had seen firsthand how abusive they could be and how easily they could get away with it. So even though he won the elections, and again, also by 2016, you can already see what is happening in Venezuela and what is happening in Nicaragua. And beyond the ideology and the fact that these people have the same ideology, you were seeing Evo praising Maduro and Chavez pretty much every day on the news and you were seeing Maduro and Chavez referring to him as El Indio and talking about him all the time so we were seeing all of these videos of very harsh police repression by the very best friends of the president that were always on our TV because he was always talking about them so this kind of already made some people very aware that something was off and also I think my generation because for the 21F referendum is the first time that you see this like young people movements. Um, the first one was Me Comprometo. I'll never forget their work was amazing. Nakai Mirtenbaum, I don't know if you met him. He's part of Sending Rivers. He was part of Me Comprometo as well, which is kind of the first youth organization okay. that defends the 21F vote. I mean, if he was there last night, I would have met him. I think he was. I'm not sure. But my generation knew like this was a red light that this is not democracy. Mm -hmm. Because regardless of how much we like or dislike a, an authority, it's not okay for them to be reelected indefinitely. And I think with globalization and, and the access to information that you have right now, it's a lot easier to, to see this than maybe it would have been 20 years ago. Well, I mean, one of the things... So I wrestled with this. Because at first I was like, I, I've understood, you know, two terms. I mean, it's a bit like a US president. You have two terms, you have rotation, that's good. I understand that. And then I was... then I read about the referendum and I thought, well, look, you know, if you have a great president who's great for the country and the people decide that a referendum is useful and the referendum is won and they want to remove term limits, that to me is democracy if, if the, if if it the wins. people want it. Yeah. You know, I, I see where you're coming from, Yeah. but I also think that you have to understand that Bolivia is a very corrupt country our institutions are not fully divided. Like, mm -hmm. it's very easy for the executive to hold, take power, and 
take the the other branches of government within their hands. Uh-huh. So I think centralizing power even more in just one figure, especially in Latin America that has a culture of caudillismo. I don't know how to say that in English, but just having one strong person being the one in power for a long time. And that's when you have like dynasties of people that get reelected as president in different parts of the country. It's not healthy. Uh-huh. If Bolivia had a better, because this is a change that needs to happen in all levels. It's not just the government. Like if we had a citizenry that was more involved in making sure that there are checks and balances, that they not only fulfill their rights, but also their duties as citizens. If we had, if we were a hundred percent sure that there's separation of different branches of the government, that the judiciary and the legislative, I'm not just going to do whatever the executive wants them to do because that's what the executive says. Because what we've seen in Bolivia, and I remember this with previous governments as well, is the government comes into power and suddenly everyone from that party becomes the heads of hospitals, heads of uh, like companies, heads of different ministries, etc. So if you, if we actually had that separation and things were more clear and transparent, because even like... Bribing is such a common thing to do with police in countries like Bolivia, which is not as common. Like you can go to jail if you try to bribe someone in the UK. Yep. When when you don't have that separation, that uh, institutes like institutions that are strong and independent, giving more power to one figure is just creating a stronger and tempting authoritarianism to walk into the door. So and we knew it. We know ourselves. We knew it wasn't good for us. So that's why the at the end our vote won. We said that no, that because what has happened after the 21F was disregarded. It's not that just that Evo stayed in power or tried to stay in power as much as he wanted to. Municipal authorities have been re-elected many, many times. Same with uh, regional governments. So you've created little little pocket dictators in different levels of government by this one law that allowed them to stay in power. And if you know that this person can still be your authority in the next run, you're going to be more fearful of them. And of you're going to do more of what they want you to do, even if it's not legal, because they might still be your boss. You know, so it's not it's just not healthy for democracy, especially in a country like mine, I think. Would you say, when you're saying it's not healthy for democracy... As, I guess that's still a subjective opinion yourself. You, you, that's your belief. For my belief as a, as a Bolivian person. Okay. I mean, I'm not saying that this applies to every country in the world. Uh-huh. There's many different types of democracy. So it's the nuance of Bolivia that makes you think this is a good thing. It's, it's the special situation we were in. Yes. We knew that it wasn't fair for Evo to be reelected indefinitely. And still, that's the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. He calls a referendum let the people decide and he loses was it was it 52 48 something like that I so think. it's, it's yeah. quite close yeah but but he's lost so you have the belief okay he's lost Eva morales lost the referendum therefore in three more years time there will be another election but he won't be asked to run mm-hmm. but or the vice president yes but that's not enough for him so and I then and it was it would have been you know what he could have been such a great president do amazing things then leave by the big door, like we say in Spanish, but and then really, have new leadership within his party to carry on with the mission of the party. But really, could he have been? Because from what, everything you've said up until now, and I'm, I'm going to need you to provide me some of the links, because I, I struggled to find these uh, evidence of human rights abuses. So I will, I will need them to share in the show notes so I can read myself. And I've heard a couple of statements where people have compared him to Mandela. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was like, okay, sounds like a 
this is something I need to research about. But from everything you've told me, that's a if all these things are true, then that's a very bad, that's a very poor comparison because yeah. he's committed multiple human right. rights abuses. So, yes, he could have left a hero in certain people's eyes, but he would never have left a hero, say, in your eyes because you've never held him in high regard because of these human rights abuses. I tried to during his first year. And okay, again, I was, I was 13. Yeah. But I remember my dad telling me, because my dad's a doctor, mm -hmm. so we always cared about the healthcare budget. And I remember my dad telling me that they cut down the salary of the president and that he thought that was a great thing because there was more budget should go to healthcare. But again, the next year, 2007, they killed three people and the minister is the one that gets them shot and then nothing else happens and then they have the session inside the military compartment. You know, it was like a very traumatizing experience for such a young person mm -hmm. who was just starting to pay attention to, to politics. And to see these people that you see on TV that you tend to admire pointing at people to get shot, people on your street. Like, I, w I remember they even that day they rang all the bells in the city to ask people to go out to help the students that were being shot. So it was a very... Protests have been a constant part of my life thanks to this government. And that's why we ended up being like, okay, maybe we should be nonviolent. That seems like it's a safer way to do it. But, But what I'm saying is you what said... What I'm saying, what I was trying to say is... He could have, because he came into power like a hero. Mm -hmm. He came into power representing many changes that the Bolivian people needed. Had he actually complied with what he promised, had he actually respected and uplifted indigenous rights, but not only did he disrespect them, but abuse them to benefit transnationals from China, who are the main ones that are taking all of our natural resources right now. Had he actually done that, he could have been such a great president because he had... The country was starting to go into a very good economical phase, which we've all seen. Like Economically speaking, Bolivia has been in a boom. We've, we've progressed so much in the past decade. Um, this could have been wonderful, but instead it went the whole other way. Why, but did, why did he maintain so much support from indigenous groups if you say he abused them? Uh, that's what he, he, they, do they not think. Do they not realize they've been abused? You, you talk about taking away natural resources... Um, yes, that happened in the last two terms. And okay. the indigenous people did protest against him. They even okay. filed a case against him in the Mother Nature Tribunal, which Morales started himself. Mm -hmm. And he was found guilty. And there are several groups I can think, top of my head, just this year, people have talked to. Caracara Nation, they're from the highlands, from the Andes. Um, Madidi, which is on the also highlands, kind of La Paz, north. Tariquia in Tarija, south of the country. Tibnis, um, Yuracares, uh, Chiquitano groups. Those are the ones that live in the area that was affected by the fires. Guaraníes, the groups that... There were groups that in the areas affected by the fires that we don't know where they are. Okay. Like, we are assuming they went down to Paraguay. But there's many, many indigenous groups that have been protesting against him. It's just that any the slightest indigenous opposition to his government was a big hit to his image. So they had to shut it down. Okay. So indigenous people were actually the ones that were the most persecuted during this government, I dare to say. Many people would fall into the, no, it was me, because there were many people that were uh, very badly treated by this government. But indigenous people did protest against him. It's just that um, they wouldn't make it to the news because the news were controlled by his government. And the international community just barely paid any attention. But they exist and they are, I can connect you to them if you want me yeah, to. Yeah, please do. And and I also should, I should, <laughs> I say this, I should try and speak to a, a Morales supporter. I asked a lot of people in the city here and I didn't, 
I didn't find one, but <laughs> but I am aware I'm in, you know. You're I in am, Santa Cruz. Yeah, yeah, I'm Santa Cruz. This is a, you know, a, a vibrant, you know, fairly wealthy city for Bolivia, and right? And more than that, and you would have found more before the fires. Yes. This is the area where the fires happen, so. So we'll come to the fires. Let's, let's just keep on track just for the sake of the listeners. So the referendum failed. Mm-hmm. But he still wants to retain power, so his next option was to go to the Supreme Court, and his complaint was this was a, a, a against viol- his human rights. Yeah, it was a violation to his human violation rights his based human rights. on a document by the OAS, mm-hmm. El Pacto de San Jose, San Jose Pact. I think it was Article 23 that says <laughs> that all citizens are allowed to participate in the political life of the country. Yes. So. He says that it's a violation to his human rights, and that's how the Constitutional Court, I will never forget, on November the 27th, 2017, they say that he's allowed to run again. And therefore, the referendum becomes void of significance. And that's when people get really annoyed, and that's when a lot of movements begin happening. Standing Rivers is one of them. There have been many other citizen movements across Bolivia to defend the 21F referendum. And that's when the 21F becomes kind of the emblem of the whole movement. Well, there's a complication around it as well. So I noted that the Secretary General of the OAS, which is responsible for enforcing the treaty, said the clause cited in the decision does not mean the right to perpetual power. Mm-hmm. So from, so my interpretation of that, that was a misread of... Of the meaning. It? Yeah, as a misread yeah. of the meaning, because the meaning was almost like you can't exclude people from... Exactly. Politics, but but not to the point where someone could have perpetual power in government. And that felt like a misread. This is um, the exact same lawful um, explanation that Ortega gave in Nicaragua to stay in power indefinitely. He also said it was his human rights, according to this specific article, to be re-elected indefinitely. So the constitutional, the CEDEHE, in the OAS, so the Court of Human Rights in the OAS, had the case of the Nicaraguans that went to the court and they were like, is this the correct interpretation of this article? And then Bolivians also took the case to the court and we were like, we need you to say if this means this, like if this article means that it's okay to be reelected indefinitely. And that's one of the reasons why I complained to the OAS recently, because they never gave an answer they just kept postponing the case and i think had they given an answer on time it could have saved us so much trouble and maybe even human lives so the oas is an organization i wasn't broadly i wasn't too aware of i mean i'd heard of them but i guess i'm more aware of them now i'm researching for this i struggle to find them credible from the research mm-hmm. i've done mm-hmm. um for multiple reasons specifically what had happened in haiti and even related to this, and we'll come to it, so let's not discuss it now, but with regards to the evidence of vote rigging, I, f- I struggle to find them credible. They seem to cause sometimes more problems than <laughs> they solve. But, okay, so the Supreme Court votes. They I mean, say, they, they generated the law that Morales was using too. Mm-hmm. So it was the reasonable thing to go to them. But like for in Standing River's case, for example, we made so many memes making fun of them because we also didn't believe in them, which is also why I had to complain when I was there. Because we, I remember we called Almagro, um, Amargo, Señor Amargo, so like bitter. 
we were just making fun of them because also we had no belief in them because whenever the OAS had to come to Bolivia to check on different human rights abuses, whenever we got to do the the um, denouncement, they always said that nothing had happened and everything was fine. Okay. So there was there was also little credibility from our part. It was a big surprise when they came out with the with the results saying that indeed there was fraud. And we know now that most of what they the material they used to say that it w there was a fraud comes from investigations that Bolivians did themselves. So we already knew they kind of just said, yeah, it, it's right. So we'll come to that. Let's just let's just tie up the final piece then. So loses the referendum gets the Supreme Court ruling, it means he can... Supreme Court, by the way, controlled by people of his party. Yeah, but like, you know, if you look in... Yeah, that, that's kind of like a reality you kind of have. And maybe it's different Bolivia, but look, you, you look in the US, you know, the president gets to vote in, new judges. Mm. You know, so that kind of happens. Uh, but at the same time, let's just run with it. He, you know, gets the uh, the ruling in his favor, so he has the opportunity to run in the, mm -hmm. in the election. What kind of demonstrations were there in the run-up to the election? There were many protests from different groups uh, for the 21F defense because mm -hmm. they were pissed off that he shouldn't be. And people were like trying to seek the different ways where we could see how okay. to get the 21F vote respected. And there were groups like Cunyambarete, which is an indigenous word that for strong women. There was groups like Resistencia Femenina, Resistencia Civil. There were many citizen groups. Um, Standing Rivers was one of them, but we were doing more environmental stuff at the moment, who were protesting and they were doing different like marches and persuasion tactics, but uh, nothing that had a scale to civil disobedience or boycotts or stuff like that. It was very much like communication kind of protest. And they were pushing the opposition to present one single united front which was not achieved. We had nine different candidates of opposition, which tells you a lot about Bolivian opposition. And, and yeah, there were, and then at the same time though, there were other protests, like for example, there was an indigenous march led by the Caracara Nation. It's a nation that had their territory invaded for, um, I cannot remember specifically for what, and they had been asking the government for a while to, because in the constitution, you have indigenous rights indicating that they have power decision like they decide what happens with their territory you can just come and start building stuff there um, especially if it's some an area that's been declared as an indigenous territory so they led a march that later on people from the uh, indigenous people from the lowland joined i was in la paz to receive them with food when they were arriving so there was that kind of protest as well there were protests in tariquia tariquia is an area on the south of bolivia where the hukumeri bear lives the hukumari bear is like very important to us as a country and there's indigenous people that live there as well and the government had decided to open it for hydrocarbon exploitation so they were also protesting and there were many little protests you also had the health sector that had been protesting for a while because there was this new law coming out saying that if a doctor treated a patient and the patient didn't get cured it was going to be the doctor's fault and the doctor would lose not only their title so they could no longer work as doctors but also all of their possessions to pay for the family of the patient that passed away so this was a crazy law i don't even know what they were thinking with that it's not like any law in the world it doesn't exist so um 
the health sector went on strike and they stopped and they did marches. They did so many protests. They did have a nonviolent uh, strategy behind it. And they were successful at getting that law annulled. And then everyone pushed for the whole new penal code to be annulled because that was part, that law was part of a penal code, a new one that was going to pass that had many observations by different parts of society because it was going to be very uh, controlling of our lives. So eventually there were many protests. We got that annulled. And then um, this was 2017, 18. And then uh, the elections are coming. And then you have this new election law out of nowhere because we never had primaries in Bolivia. That had never happened. And this new law says that you have to have primaries. And the primaries were such a waste of money and time because each party only presented one candidate. So in the mass party, for example, you went to the, their primaries to vote and he was the only option in the ballot. And the same for other parties that participated on the primaries. But if you didn't participate on the primaries, you couldn't go to the elections. So I think that was a way to accelerate the, the political election atmosphere because there was a lot of leadership from civil society and they needed it to become politized and for people to start running into different parties because they knew that was a way to divide the the movement on the street which they effectively did but i think it still backfired eventually so i think i know what your answer is because this question is going to be but so the election happens mm-hmm. and those who were upset with the referendum have the chance to vote him out mm-hmm. but he still wins the election the 20 october 20th election uh, the 2019 election so this election yeah the one that just happened yes Um, it, it, there was fraud in the elections, first of all. Okay, so, so that, that, that's what I was going to say. That, so that was your answer. And we'll cover the fraud, but just... There wasn't... It, I haven't been able to find evidence of fraud, and this is the bit that I've really struggled with. So I followed the story, I've spent time with your team, I watched your speech, everything adds up. But I can't find the evidence, evidence of, of fraud. Yeah. I can easily provide you the evidence Please, of fraud. Please, I would like to see it because... But, I mean, the fact that they stopped the vo- the count of the votes for 24 hours and then when they reassume the vote count, he suddenly has enough of a benefit to be able to win on the first round. Yeah. That's one thing. Second, um, we did the vote count and this has been proven even by OAS people. You know how there's metadata, mm-hmm. I think that's what it's called in English, yeah. in, in pictures. Many pictures that were uploaded into the electoral tribunal system of the actas, the the paper where you write down the number of votes on each table, the metadata show that they were taking five days before the elections. How is that possible? And that's like that's a that's a fact. I'm I'm not making that up. And yeah. I can link you to people that can give you all of this. And like in our experience, for example, um, we received a lot of reports of different voting places where people received the the ballot, and it was already marked for the mess. So they took a picture and they sent it because we had this like app kind of thing, so that you can send any uh, reports even if everything went well and you just wanted us to know that things went well in your vote point you could send it so a lot of people send us pictures of stuff that had happened in their vote points and we met with some of them to make sure that they, it was real um, because we had to validate before we let it go into the system so it was a whole a bunch of people working on this but you had votes ballots that came pre-marked for the mass party we found um, Caro I think you met with her for mm-hmm. 
she was with a team of people. I was on, on, on the center where we were receiving all the information. She was with a team of people in the Facebook Cruz, which is where all the votes, because people count the votes on the voting p point, and then they put them all into a box, and they bring them to the regional voting center where mm -hmm. you do the vote count again. And we found people, we have the videos, like this is from our phones, on the cars bringing the ballots, with opening the thing and with their hands inside the ballots, which should be inside the boxes, which should be like locked. You shouldn't be able to put your hands in there uh -huh. and ch taking out votes and changing them for votes that had the mass party vote part marked. So we both saw it with our own eyes and then there's clear evidence and the very head of the electoral tribunal has admitted that there was fraud, but she said that it was ordered from above. And now I believe she's being held in in prison, if I'm correct. And the vice president of the electoral tribunal quit to his job like three days after the elections, Costas, saying that he wasn't part of the decision of stopping the vote count, and that's why he was quitting. And he said that there were things that cannot be done that Bolivia had to come first. So right. there was the whole electoral tribunal mm. was a very complicated thing, but there's clear evidence of vote fraud. So, so initially, I, I believe that because I did my research. I read the, didn't read every one of the 96 pages in the OAS report, but mm -hmm. I, I like I, I skimmed the report. I skimmed the summary articles, but I also then started to find a number of articles that were discrediting the OAS report. And then I came to another one, which was from the Center of Economic Policy and Research, which said said they didn't find any examples of fraud. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know the same uh, report. So I found another one that said there isn't. So it, this is where, like, I, this is why I told you that tweet I said at the very start. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, you know Alex, and I know, you know, through Alex, so I'm like, I'm here to talk to you. But I also have to take a step back and, and try and be as objective as possible. Yeah, yeah. And there's so it's much, yeah, there's so much information that comes to you in different directions. You're like, what do I believe here? Because originally I believed the OAS report, that, that was debunked. And then I read the report from the Center of Economic Policy and Research that there's no evidence. And you just get into this world, you're like, well, how do you find an objective truth here? And that's really difficult. I think difficult. that's when you have to talk to people from the country that mm -hmm. were there. Exactly. Because then at that point, um, that's... And I mean, I'm not saying we are the whole only owners of truth and whatever I say is truth. And that's mm. the end of the story because that's not... That's not democracy. That's not how we think. But we saw the fraud with our own eyes. I mean, we saw the ballots that were marked before you even got to vote. And in my case, for example, I showed up to vote and they changed the voting location to another school and they didn't put that on the on the website of, the, of where you go to check where you're meant to vote. And I had checked it often. And that happened to a lot of people. And we suspect that it was... And it happened specifically on the parts of the country that had been affected by the fires. So we think that it was because they knew they were going to have a lot of votes against them. And I mean, Mesa didn't, didn't, again, this is also like nothing is black and white. Again, the opposition in Bolivia, from my point of view, is bad. Like they're not, they don't have their act together. They couldn't find unity. So it was hard for people to vote for just one option because, again, we had nine opposition candidates. So it's not like Evo is bad. The other option that's not Evo is going to be good because I feel like that's how people work. Like anything that goes against Trump, we're in favor of. And it's like, no, things are not like that. Life is complex. Humans mm -hmm. are complex. Bolivia is very complex. And But at the same time, 
there was fraud. We saw it with our own eyes. I think I can I can speak like because I was there. The team we were all working on this, and regardless of of what I mean, there's all this researches right now, and I stand by what the report comes. Not even from the OAS, the report from uh, Ethical Hacking, which is a company that the electoral tribunal in Bolivia hired to do the auditoria, like the overseeing of the elections. So this, there's this body hired by the electoral tribunal of Bolivia to do the control of the elections and they themselves said that there was fraud. And that's the one that I stay with because that's the, that's the report that I've seen that seems the most credible and makes the more sense in comparison to the information that we were receiving when we were doing the vote control. Yeah, I guess one of the other things that makes me take a step back is so I met with Ronaldo yesterday and talked quite in depth with him and he was a originally a Morales supporter mm. he said to me I voted yeah, that's for why him. I wanted you to meet with him I wanted you to have more perspectives yeah and that was really helpful because he gave me the perspective of somebody who voted twice for Morales mm -hmm. and then had a change in view on him mm -hmm. whereas I guess when I spent time with your team yesterday then they were more like you are and this really surprised me They never liked him, never respected him. They, they, they. So, for example, Carolina said to me, "Is it Carolina? How do you pronounce it?" We just say Caro. Caro, <laughs> Caro, and she doesn't mind because I videoed her saying this as well. She said, fr from the age of 18, when she could first vote, she never trusted him. She could see somebody who was going to slip down the slope of authoritarianism. Mm. Um, so, I'm trying to. I'm, I'm, I'm very. I'm trying to be careful not to be sucked into a bias and try and find the mm -hmm. objective truth but it's so so difficult it's very difficult yeah it's very difficult and i mean the truth at the end of the day is also kind of subjective mm. but what i can tell you for sure is like for example in ronaldo's case he's older than most of us he's 30 something Not and, me. And <laughs> but uh, my point being like my generation and there's this man filamon escobar who was one of the biggest thinkers behind the mass party And back already in 2003, I believe, he said it was going to become authoritarian because of different things that he had done. And then he leaves the mass party, becomes a very hardcore dissident, gets persecuted by the government, and then he ends up passing away. So there were signs that he was not necessarily a democratic president. But I don't want us to get sucked into how good or bad person Evo is. His image is always going to be controversial. I never met him in person, so I don't feel like I can judge him as a human. But I can judge the fact that democracy was being eroded in my country. Mm -hmm. I can judge the fact that um, there was complete impunity for different human rights abuses, including the case of Tata Kusi. No one who has HIV should ever be ousted on a national press conference just because you did your job and you said this is not what the law interprets. And I can also say very clearly because I really I don't just believe this I saw it like there was a big fraud and that's the thing that got things running and all the protests that came afterwards and then eventually Evo has to leave and again the mass party is going to be able to participate in the new elections if they can generate new leaderships which they should be able to it shouldn't just be everything one led by one person whatever they're working for and what they believe because look many of the things that the mass stood for at first not because then in action they 
really ruined it. But stuff like defending indigenous rights, environmental rights, women's rights are things that are very close to my heart. And Sunny Rivers tries to work around that. You met with a team in Santa Cruz, but we have other teams as well. The team in La Paz, for example, is mainly environmentally focused, which is funny because it's La Paz and it's such a political city. Um, but they are still part, like Mass is still part of the country. They are participating. I hope they can generate new leadership that has independent use of thought that they can make their own decisions without Evo and Alvaro from the outside directing them indefinitely. But this is not a polarizing, like I don't, I don't hate Morales. I, I'm not even interested to see him in jail, to be honest. I just want my country to be able to build its democracy back. Well, that, again, that's an interesting point because, you know, from the, the list of what I would consider crimes that he's committed, he does sound like somebody should be in jail. So, I mean, I guess he I will reserve judgment until I've read them myself. And yeah. He should be, but it's not my, like, number one. It's not your goal. Con- like, and I'm yeah. speaking as Janice. I'm not speaking as Sunny yeah. Rivers. Like, yeah. as someone who who is very young, but I believe I've seen a lot in my country, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want current authorities to spend their time figuring out how to get Evo back into the country to put him in jail. I would want authorities right now to focus on how to build a very independent and transparent electoral tribunal an electoral institution so that this never happens again, so that we never have to question our electoral tribunal again. There's another part we should talk about, just to, for the full picture for everybody. We should talk about the fires. Yes. Um, so people have a full picture of what actually happened there. Because also, that's obviously something you're very passionate about. I know it upsets you. I saw your impassioned speech, which is strange, because when I was, because it had the subtitles, because I don't speak Spanish. About two minutes in, I realized I still had to have the sound. I, I was sat on the plane mm-hmm. just without any sound, and I put my headphones in, and I realized I needed the sound. That's obviously very important to you. Can you give me the background to the fires? What happened? So um, the Chiquitano area is an area where most of the political, economical elite in Santa Cruz makes their money because it's an area where you grow, um, where you get a lot of agro-cattle production. And... This is an area where fires had been used previously, as they are in Bolivia, we call it chaqueo, to clean different parts of the territory in order to be able to uh, plant again. Sorry, it's very late and I'm very tired. My English okay. is slightly failing. You're crushing it. But again, fires had been used previously, but there was some sort of control of the fires. And like, I remember they explained it to me, if this is the area that you have, you divide it in six and you can only burn one sixth of your area and then let it rest and then kind of you rotate what that area is going to be each year so that you make sure that the soil is still healthy and then you're not just burning off everything. During the Morales governments, the paquetazo happened. Paquetazo is kind of this nickname that environmental groups have given to this group of laws, the first one passed in 2011, that... Um, were very aggressive towards expanding agricultural area within the Chiquitano forest and other areas of Bolivia. And then this year we have the Supreme Decree 3973 approved, which comes at a very coincidental timing. So in April, the Bolivian government, who's very good pals with the Chinese government, may I add, many of the of the um, things that have been done within our national parks have been done by by Chinese companies. In April, the government strikes a deal with the Chinese government saying we're going to export beef. And we have to export high amounts of beef to China. I think it's three times the amount that we normally produce in one year. And obviously, the government is very happy. Um, 
beef producers in Bolivia are more than happy, the, the economical elite in Santa Cruz. And, um, and this means that we need to quickly, quickly have more area for cattle, essentially. And then in July, the law, the Cream Supreme, the Cream Supreme 3973 is passed, which says that you can, that you can now use more areas and have controlled fires to expand agricultural area, even within forest areas. And this is passed for Beni and Pando, if I'm correct. But you have to understand in a country like us, if you just see a law that says you can go into forest areas and burn them for more agricultural industry, everyone goes like, okay, this is our year, let's go. And they passed this law when we're having sequia, which is very bad in, in a country that has, like, our our firefighters are volunteers. You saw them yourself. We don't have an official... 92%, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like barely any control. There's not many, There's not enough firefighters. Like, there's this area, Otukis, which is like millions of hectares, and it's just six people in control of that area. Like, it's very difficult to control this. And by the end of July, we start having these fires that keep growing, keep growing, keep growing. And this, the Chiquitano forest area is an area that's kind of the the entry to the Amazon. Mm -hmm. And it was very rich. It had many animal lives and plant lives that were unique to this part of, of the world. And they're kind of our pride as well. Like I grew up around that area, which is also why it's such a sensitive subject for me, because it's areas where I was playing around when I was little. And then I was seeing the pictures of how everything was just burnt and everything was black. And Standing Rivers begins as a nonviolent movement. We care about our environmental causes, but we train and we focus on protests, on nonviolent protests. And we learn from firefighters um, how to do contention, how to evacuate people. So we had a good relationship with them. And when the fires begin to happen, obviously, we also care about our environmental issues. We go, yes, we have to support. But we didn't think it was going to turn into what it did because the response from the government in all levels was so poor and people knew that we needed help and that uh, the volunteer firefighters that came from different parts of the country were not receiving water they were not receiving equipment so people went to parallel institutions that they knew and trusted standing rivers became one of them and suddenly our whole time was like this rescue team. We were receiving donations from different parts of the country. We heard many reports and we've met many people that have done this job that whenever they were bringing the donations to the fire areas, they were stopped by military men who would take away the donations and not give them to the volunteer firefighters. So we decide we're going to go ourselves and deliver the donations in person because, again, these people are our friends. It's not like it's firefighters we've never seen before. They, didn't the Morales government reject international help? They did. Yeah. They did, and they, um, and that's, I think that's the reason where we pissed them off so much, and that's the first time that they, like, any minister showed our logo and accused us of, of being, like, coup planners, because um, we gave interviews. I tweeted a lot about what was happening in English, and there's very few sources in English about what's happening in Bolivia, so my tweets got quick attention because I was explaining what was happening. So a lot of journalists reach out to me via Twitter from BBC and ask me if they could interview me about what was happening. And again, we were focusing on the fires themselves and about mm -hmm. what was happening and that we needed help. And that's when the attacks began against us. And then the Morales government ended up accepting help from specific countries, but they, up until the end, they never accepted to declare national disaster, which made our lives miserable because I had friends who wanted to donate stuff. I myself brought donations. 
I say donations, but in reality, like I bought a pair of boots, I found some masks um, and gloves, and I put them all in my suitcase, and I came to Bolivia. And because they hadn't declared national disaster, in the airport, they retained my passport, they retained my suitcases, they told me that the government ha has, hadn't declared national emergency, so I had absolutely no right to bring this, that I could be prosecuted. And I was like, man, my friends are there, like the people you had dinner with last night, Shirley, all of these people, they were there, they were fighting the fires and they were showing me how their shoes were melting. I didn't even know shoes could melt. <laughs> And I was like, my friends need this. I have to bring this to them. And you know that things are burning. Like what the fuck? You know, yeah, exactly. So just give me my freaking suitcase and yeah. my passport and let me in. And they didn't. And eventually they gave me my passport. But then later on, I got calls from the government saying that I was getting more people in trouble, that the people that authorized my passport to be returned to me were now having to explain. And that if I didn't show with a letter that every single mask and every single booth had been delivered to as a donation, then I would be facing uh, legal problems. It was this whole thing. And then there were other people that also wanted to send donations, but again, they wouldn't open because they didn't declare national disasters. Donations couldn't come in. And recently, last week, we found out this was ousted that I know there were tell me, the Australian. many donations from Australia that mm. were retained in customs. And when we found out, I was scared of telling the team and many people ended up crying. So one of the things, even when going through articles and research, and I, I could, even with the most pro-Morales articles, I couldn't find anything which supported him with regards to the fires. There was no positive... Mm. Uh, 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 reports on this everything was like this is a black mark on his career so I don't understand the reason for rejecting international help I don't understand the reason for and I know what you're going to say you're going to explain to me because I'll let everyone know we, we lost a bit of here but you're <laughs> going to explain to me about there was an election coming and, and, and some of the problems about accepting help yeah, I mean, these are only theories that we came up with. I cannot prove this. But one of the reasons why we think that they didn't declare a national disaster was that that would mean that most of the budget of the state, when you declare national disaster, has to go to alleviating the affected areas and fighting whatever it is causing the disaster. So they would have lost budget for, for the election campaign should they have done that. And then all of the media attention, all of the just like everything in general would have had to turn to f focus on the fires because they were trying to minimize it and not not discuss it or, or give it the importance that it was having, having as much as possible. And then also if you ask the international community to come in and help you, you have to explain why the fires happened in the first place. And then he would have had to explain the government would have had to explain that this happened because of these specific laws that were approved by this government. And the Morales government built its reputation on being a very environmental government, and this was a clear show that they weren't, and that they were more focused on economical interests and they were in protection of the environment. So a big pillar of their international image would have fallen. Right, okay. And because what we do know is that whenever there's a disaster, whether it's a, f this f a fire such as this or an earthquake, there are specialist teams in countries that are ready. They jump on planes, mm -hmm. they go aboard, and they support other countries. 
there will have been international support here. You mentioned the French. I I have this vague memory of a team being rejected, but I could be wrong. I could re- yeah, be yeah, there wrong. were teams being rejected. Um, for example, in our case, there was a team from Argentina that was ready in Salta to come in. They had been ready for about three days when they reached out to us. They wrote to us on the Facebook page. And they... Uh, they said, we have been ready, we have the equipment, we're like on a ready position, I don't know how to say that in English, mm-hmm. like they're all in one single place ready to go in, but they still don't get any permission from Bolivian authorities to come in and they want to come in and help. So we talked to uh, regional authorities here in Santa Cruz because they were the ones that we could get a hold of. And uh, and we were like, there's people that are trained that know how to do this, that are coming to fight, because it's different to fight fires in a city than it is to fight them on, the, on forests and this type of areas. And they told us, yeah, we need the central government to authorize. And they never did. And we have the letters signed, these letters saying we want to go in were received by local authorities. And they read them and signed that they received them and still nothing. And there were teams, I remember there was a team from friends because they were with some of the Standing Rivers people. They saw them in Concepcion. And I think there was a team from another country that came in, but there were many other teams that wanted to come in and couldn't. And then there's, for example, what we were discussing there were donations from Australia that were found last week and yeah. that had been retained in customs. When Alan, the brother of the firefighters that found, that passed away, found out about this, he was devastated, as was many people on the team, myself included. That's a fucking scandal. Because we needed all of this help. Like this, we, we had no equipment. We had no... People were having heart attacks because they were breathing in the, the CO2 of the fires while trying to fight them the whole time. We only needed masks, like we only needed basic stuff to be able to fight the fire. And again, I remember the government saying we're not declaring national disaster because we have the resources necessary to fight the fires. And then the guys were saying, people in my team, when we saw this on the news, we were like, you cannot fight fire with money. Like you can throw money at the fire and ask it to step off. Like what we need is very specific. We need people with training that know how to do this because people were doing one or two hours trainings and then going straight into a fire and trying to fight it, which is highly responsible. We could have lost so many more lives. And then we it's need, quite unbelievable. Yeah, and then we needed um, technology able to do it. Like a friend of mine, I remember he, well, I met, I say a friend of mine now, but I met him there. Um, like I met many people this year while being on this on this volunteer work. He brought his drone and he was using his drone to help the firefighters teams locate the, the what was the best place to go and fight the fires. I met him last night. Maybe, Daniel? I think so. I met somebody last night who had a drone there. They yeah, told yeah, me. yeah. And then this friend I was with, his name is Andres. Uh, he, the team of firefighters we were with got lost and they couldn't find their way back to us. So we were making noise to get them back and then we were like, what are we doing? We have a drone. So we used the drone to go and find them and then guide them back to the camp. But I was thinking, this is a volunteer guide that I run into, into the town and then we decided to join like imagine what would have happened if we weren't here they should have enough equipment so that if they get lost they know how to get back to where they have to be and it was just that sort of equipment for example they weren't providing for us the local municipality was from the mass party and we needed every little town to declare themselves in disaster state for the regional government to come in and help if you didn't declare yourself in a state of disaster legally we have no right to come in and help you and since this town the municipality was 
the mass party, the government party, they had the order to not declare disaster. So we couldn't do much. And it was like such a struggle to get them to understand that this is bigger than your party. This is like, there's fire three blocks away from here. You're going to burn as well if you don't declare it. And we have the, like, the people that want to help, not the equipment. So please let us act. And it was like, it was the things we saw and the things we lived were unbelievable. And again, we haven't had time to process. That's also why I believe it's such a sensitive subject because as soon as the fires happened, we had to go straight into vote control mode and then protests began the day after the election. So. Yeah, so let's talk about the protests. So focused on non-violent action. Mm-hmm. So talk, talk to me why, I mean, I know why non-violent action is important, but sometimes non-violent action only works until it doesn't. I mean, we've seen in Hong Kong mm. where originally, I interviewed Denise Ho uh, a while back, I'm trying to remember the years, but I think 2013 was a non-violent protest. This time it's not. The umbrella movement. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's still the umbrella movement, but it became much more violent. But talk to me about why a non-violent movement was so important, because I know it's an obvious question, but you actually, you repeat it quite often. I Mm -hmm. hear you repeat it quite often. So that's obviously a central tenant to what what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And then talk to me about the protests themselves you know, how they were activated, what the reception was, what you managed to achieve? Yeah, I mean, especially after what happened with the fires, we didn't want any more deaths. Mm -hmm. Every life is very valuable, and when it happened to someone close to the team, it felt even more of a reason of why we have to keep this as safe as possible. So much of the idea of why nonviolent action is because you need different parts of society to join you you need to have in such a plural society you need to have unity in order to achieve anything especially when we were dealing with such a delicate matter and we didn't want the police to have any excuse to repress because we know that in the moment when it becomes violent the police and state security are always going to have more equipment more training more incentives to use violence and we are always going to lose on that end and also, if you're fighting for democracy, we say, muestra tu, tu propuesta and tu protesta. Show what you are proposing in your protest. And we are proposing democracy. We are proposing living in, in understanding our differences and living together, uh, treasuring them instead of making them a problem for us. So nonviolence became the way. And also, by being nonviolent, you are opening the door to being creative and to being innovative and to being decentralized. Because many of the things that Sending Rivers tried to do was let's do something creative that people in different parts of the country can replicate, that are easy to replicate, and that send the message across easily. Because when you have violence, often the press focuses on that violence and then protesters defending A did this, and that's the horrible violence thing they did. But if you focus on being creative and innovative, then it's the message that becomes the main news of whatever you're doing i also think the non-violence becomes more important depending on the country you're in so i would say in a country like bolivia a violent protest is more likely to end up with crowds being fired on than say somewhere like the uk Mm. just historically yeah yeah and And so so I, i guess in a country like bolivia where there is the potential for the police or the army to respond whether it's rubber or live bullets it's it's more important to try and set the standard that we want a peaceful demonstration 
Especially with so much impunity. Mm-hmm. Again, this began for me when I was 14 and I saw three people get killed and then absolutely no sense of justice afterwards. So we didn't want that to happen again. Okay. And the best way to ensure that that doesn't happen is to make sure that the police doesn't have any excuse to repress in the first place. Which is why also we, I don't know if the guys had time to show you this or even teach you how to do it, but like we do something we call contention very often, which is when we see that there might be clashes between police and protesters, we do human chains between the police and the protesters to avoid them having an actual confrontation. They explained this to me. Yeah. It's very, it's a very fascinating experience. Well, the only time I've ever done that myself to stop people fighting, I ended up with a broken nose. (laughs) So when they explained this, I was like, well, you're still putting yourself at risk. Yeah. Yeah, and we're very aware. But at the same time, we've done it many times and it's Uh saved. I'm pretty sure we've saved lives. I mean, how could I know? No one can ever ensure this. You can't prove that. But we've, we've, we've often we've done because there are different parts of the police who have different permissions on as to which kind of weapons they can use against protesters we've done contentions in front of the delta team the delta team has permission to use lethal weapons and we've done the human chain in front of them with absolutely no weapon on us uh, to avoid ha- them having any excuse to repress and with the protest what were the steps that led to them morales stepping down and essentially being exiled to it was mexico first or was it cuba first then mexico he went to mexico first and then cuba and, and then, then cuba and now he's in argentina, argentina. Yeah. so what what were the steps that led to that i mean people have been mobilizing defending the 21f vote for a while now, yep. since 2016 and then when the fires happened we had this cabildo this uh a cabildo is a concentration that was very common during the colony which this is what indigenous groups would do to meet and make decisions that would affect the entire community. That's where the word comes from, cabildo. And indigenous groups in the lowlands still do cabildos to make big decisions. So we had, and the cabildo therefore is recognized in the constitution as a democratic way to to ponder different decisions of the citizenry. So we had a cabildo in Santa Cruz, which had about 1 million people attending. This was Friday, October the 4th, two weeks before the elections. Um, 1 million people protest for environmental rights in a country that has 11 million people. 10%, 10% essentially. I mean, that was yeah. huge. I was so proud. And essentially what we asked in that cabildo was for the government to declare national disaster, to annul the laws that had given place to these fires. And a girl named Alejandra Serrate made people swear that they would participate on civil disobedience campaigns should, they, should there be fraud in the elections, because the elections were coming and we knew that that's all they cared about. Mm-hmm. And once the elections happened, that's when different groups meet. The hub was kind of the civic committee and groups like transportation groups, health sector, um, gremiales, or the people that sell stuff in markets, not supermarkets like the U.S., but actual markets, Bolivian markets. Um, Heavy transport, so the ones that do the, the move things internationally in and out of the country. And then groups like Standing Rivers, environmental groups, we all meet and we go like, okay, this is a moment we're going to go on an indefinite strike something that we had never done before when we did paros it was like a one day thing this time we were like we're not going to stop until he's until at first it wasn't until he's gone it was until we go to the second round that was the petition at first but then things escalated and then two days later we go into the indefinite strike and at first it was just people blocking the roads in their streets and then stunning rivers begins doing the sit-ins which we inspired ourselves in the civil rights movement but obviously in our case it's very different because 
one of the things that we wanted to make sure is that the strike was actually obeyed by different institutions that didn't want to obey them. Um, and But we also didn't want to go and take over because Thomas, like taking institutions, it was very common in Bolivian culture. And that's not legal, first of all. And second of all, it has a high risk of uh, police repression because when you're taking over an institution by the force, the police are legally allowed to use their weapons against you. So what we did was sit-ins, silent sit-ins outside these institutions. We wouldn't even touch the building. We would arrive, the guide of the protests, often my, my role, I would go in and talk to whoever was in charge of security and be like, this is a nonviolent protest. We're going to be sitting out here in silence. We're not going to yell at you. We're not going to stop you from coming in and out. We just want you to know this is totally legal. The sidewalk is a public space. Don't be afraid. We're not going to do anything. And then we would sit there. But when you have big amounts of people sitting outside the door, it makes it very uncomfortable for people to come in and out, especially if you have people that have something taping their mouths. And we had signs that said fraud. So eventually, that's how we got banks to shut down. We got the National TV station. They didn't shut down, but like they, they, there was a lot of press that day because it was a protest against uh, a media outlet. We had the Hydrocarbon National Office shut down, Taxes Office shut down, and many, many, many banks. We practiced with banks. They were the easiest. But it felt weird because we were recruiting people to do these nonviolent protests sit-ins in silence absolutely no like we weren't yelling at people not to go into their work but i was very happy that we got to do this because we got to show that there's a different way to protest mm -hmm. where you don't have to put yourself at risk or you don't have to put the police in a very uncomfortable position and it was still effective we still got the the places to shut down but morales still put the police in an uncomfortable position because he asked them to intervene exactly and then the police was like nope nope, nope. we're not going to do this because at this point too police had their families protesting with us mm -hmm. like it was such a big thing there was such a big unity and then there was this i don't know if there's enough time to tell the story time. but it's really funny there was this one march in support of morales that marched into la paz mm -hmm. and it seems like part of the agreement of them marching was that they were going to get fried chicken for lunch so a lot of policemen after at the end of the march showed up carrying fried chicken for the marchers and there are pictures of police carrying fried chicken that people then turn into memes and they were like fried chicken delivery call 911 and it became kind of a joke yeah. and then people started calling the police to order fried chicken delivery and then <laughs> the head of the police in Oruro had to call to a press conference and he went like we want to ask citizens to please have some respect we are not gonna deliver fried chicken please stop calling us to deliver fried chicken and it came it was just like it was such a funny thing to see such a serious man telling like please stop calling us to deliver fried chicken and then the next day so when the police uh turns around they they take our side and then this whole thing happened when we were like we're so sorry we were asking for fried chicken we'll bring fried chicken to you and then fried chicken chains in bolivia started sending free fried chicken to police stations because they were like on on mutiny but as small as that was, I think it helped the police realize that they were being used by the government to do things that were not their role mm -hmm. and that they were not being respected anymore as the authority that they should be respected, which is the authority that enforces order. Instead, they were being humiliated as fried chicken delivery. And the police always had a bad relationship with Morales because he was always very abusive towards them. He always prioritized um, the military and that also ended up backfiring for him. 
But I would say when the police sides with the people and they decide that they're not going to shoot at us, that was the moment where I thought, oh my God, maybe we are going to make it. All right, well, I'm conscious of time. You've traveled all day. I've got to travel all night. There's two subjects I want to finish to close out. Mm -hmm. So Morales is asked to step down by the police. He steps down. And there's essentially a power vacuum. But but very quickly, and I'll, I'll try and pronounce it, Janine Anes? Anes. Anes. Yeah. So she's a conservative. Mm -hmm. She takes power. How is that decided? How 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 is it decided that she is to run the country, temp let's say temporarily? Yeah, um, she was the second vice president of the legislative chamber. Let's go by parts. Okay. Morales resigns and he he writes a letter saying he resigned. The Congress were meant to have a session and accept the resignation. However, um, when he leaves the when he asks for asylum in Mexico and proceeds to leave the country. That's the moment where another legal figure is activated, which is abandono de cargo, which is like abandonment of role. Mm -hmm. When that happens, according to our constitution, to avoid these power vacuums, the person immediately under you takes okay. power. That would be the vice president. He resigned as well. Four levels down, was it? Four levels down, they all resigned. Mm -hmm. And then Janina was the next in order. Most okay. people didn't even know she existed before this, to be honest. Um, she's part of the Democratas Party. The Democratas Party is a party that Stanley Rivers has probably protested against in several occasions. We are not a big fan of the work that they do. And we will continue to protest against many of the things that they stand for. For example, we like the police and, I mean, the state and church to be separate entities. However... Legally speaking, the constitutional order had to be respected and she was the one that had to take charge. Mm -hmm. Should there have been some sort of junta where the civic committee leaders or military men took power, it would have been a coup mm -hmm. in that case. But she was the next one in order and she was the one that had to take power. And I am incredibly surprised at the work that she's doing. I think she, her specifically has done a great job. There are many things that I don't agree with also that her government has done but I think in general seeing a woman in power in my country after so many years of seeing the same guy who's also very misogynist in power has been a breath of fresh air and um, I know a lot of people don't understand this they say that she proclaimed herself but it's because they don't understand that there's this part of like our constitution that says that immediately after a person has to take power. So I've seen some some harsh criticism of her. Mm. So I'll read this out. She embarked on a blatantly ruthless past, stacking her cabinet with religious conservatives, bitterly opposing Ms. Mr. Morales's movement for socialism. Mm -hmm. um, but also, she issued the decree exempting security forces from criminal yeah. prosecution when man maintaining public order. The following day, eight protesters were killed in a lethal crackdown. So it seems that since she's taken power, that... Vo there has been a lot of violence. We're talking, is it 36 killed? I think, yeah. Around 36. Um, I also read dozens missing. I, I obviously couldn't find any evidence of that. I've been, uh, we asked for that decree to be annulled. Yes. And it was annulled. So, but I not, not that it was because we asked for it, but I'm very glad that they finally annulled it. But I, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but I find it unusual where, you know, non-violence is very important to you. But you also... You're quite, you've been quite pro her in the statement previously. You said, you know, 
it's great to have a woman in power and she, she's done some great things. Mm-hmm. Yet to put that decree in yeah, place... I understand. I, do, you, do you understand my conflict here? Yeah, 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 here? no, I see it. Um, after Morales left and the 21 days of Petita revolution mm-hmm. ended, we called people to go back home. Yeah. And I mean, Standing Rivers is not... We're not the biggest force of mobilizing people in the country, but our position was there's been, like, we've done enough, there's a high risk of violence, this is the point where everyone returns home. And then pro-Morales groups, most of them armed and violent, started protesting and that's when the clashes happened with police. Some people from our team, not the team that you met yesterday, Mm -hmm. but the team in Cochabamba, showed up, for example, in Sacaba, I think it was, to try to avoid violence from happening because that's what we do. We show up, we negotiate, we try to peacefully convince people not to shoot at anyone, not police, not themselves. And when the repression happened, we ended up rescuing some of the people that were hurt, sorry, <laughs> and like taking them to the to the hospital and, and even paying for their health care because um, they didn't have health insurance. Okay. So uh, we have been continuing to do the work, attempting to do the work of achieving nonviolence within these groups, but some of the groups that support Morales are very radical and they're very violent. And mm-hmm. I am not justifying, I think the CIDHE, the Commission of, in, of Human Rights of the OAS, has begun an investigation about this. I know that locally there are investigations happening against the people that, about the people that have died. But from our end, like what we could do was ask people to go back home, provide help for the people that were affected during these confrontations, that we, again, I can speak for these confrontations because those protesters, we, did, we didn't call them to protest and uh, we don't yeah. know them. Like, they're not part of our team. But I am not saying that they didn't happen or that they're not important. We want a full investigation to happen to establish the, the responsibility of what has happened. Uh-huh. And also we called and we called, we even wrote to Human Rights Watch for the annulment of that decree. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not sure you've, you fully addressed the the actual point I've made, though. Like, like I say, I'm just surprised that you seem supportive of her when this decree seems to promote violence. Again, the thing with this decree that is very important to understand is in 2000. Follow me, I, f- I yeah. swear I'm going to a point. In 2003, um, the military came out on the streets and they killed a large amount of people. Um, when Goni left, the president prior to Morales. Was that about 80 people? Yes, yeah. 83, I think. Yeah. And then after that happened, the military that were in charge of that operation were put in jail and some of them are still in jail. Mm-hmm. So after that, the military said that if ever a president or a government wanted the military to go out on the streets because they're not, to be, they're not meant to be on the streets, they had to do it through a written order. It couldn't anymore be just the president calling someone and being like, we need you out on the street and then the military going out. Because by writing that order, the responsibility relies on the person that asked the military to step out on the streets. That's what Morales didn't want to do. When he called on Caliman and people to go out on the streets, they were like, well, we need the written order. Where is it? And they didn't want to write it. And that's when the military comes out in a press conference and they say, we're not going to go out. We're not going to shoot at people we suggest you resign. And then later on, when Agnes is in power and she asks the military, again, the military go like, we need you to own responsibility, where is the written order? And that's when this law happens. And again, we condemn this. We don't support this. We ask international entities to annul the decree and we push from the inside as well to have the decree annulled because we also think that it's not, we stand for nonviolent protests. So every 
citizens should have their right to protest not only guaranteed but but promoted by the state and not have laws that clearly say you're in high risk if you do it because the military has every permission right now to go out and shoot at you but um what i applaud from her from her time in office is that she understood something that many people may not understand about Bolivia, is that even though the law to call for new elections was passed by unanimidad, Unanimous. yeah. unanimously by the government, including the mass party, mm -hmm. this was not going to be enough to stop the violence on the street if the social movements were not on board with this law as well. And there was this process, process of negotiations with these groups that were pro-Morales and anti-her government, that happened in the presidential palace and it was televised and it went on for hours, I don't know if you heard about this, that she took a part on and whenever whenever she was attacked, she was very wise not to take a position of defending herself but listening to the groups. And in the end, there was a consensus that was achieved with these groups, which is what led eventually to the new law to be proclaimed. Had there only been a negotiation about this law with the parties and not with the social movements that were the ones on the streets, I don't think this could have been possible. Okay. And that's one thing that I applaud from her because from my time alive, it's the first time I've seen the Bolivian government asking groups that are violently protesting to step into the presidential palace, sit down and actually have their word and their space and be heard. Okay. And that's a negotiation that could have been even dangerous for her. I was told I wasn't there, but I was told that she didn't even have bodyguards as a show of trust on the people that were sitting there with her. And again, I mean, there's, we are still, you probably heard the team planning yesterday. We're still planning to protest. No, do, do you know what happened was, it's funny. So I was really jet lagged because I traveled through the night and we got there and we did about two hours and it was probably about two hours of me asking questions and them answering and <laughs> they were amazing if they were speaking Spanish. Carol was translating for me mm -hmm. or her brother was translating, but essentially I had about two hours and it was just questions and answers, but I felt myself going. So I didn't even get to see a, a, any of their planning, but I think that it's was probably okay. right because I, I would have held them up. But uh no, but useful. like one of the things that we're talking about is the supreme decree that I mentioned was also approved with votes from the party that she's a part of. So, okay. and we are planning very much to continue protesting to demand the supreme decree to be annulled. So okay. they're going to be in a tough spot, regardless okay. of what happens within the next elections. And I think that's also a very important part for all Bolivians to understand that we may sympathize or not with this government, but we still need to hold everyone accountable and keep everyone on check yes. and jump and demand for things like, for example, the annulment of that decree, even if in general it seems like we this is better than the last government. Like, no, there are no excuses. Everyone needs to be held accountable. Otherwise, this is how we end up in the situation that we were. Well, I think you and I could have probably talked for about five hours because yeah. there's so much I've not asked you. So uh, I've got a good excuse to come back to Bolivia now. Perhaps in April next year would do, be a good time. Do. But uh, just to close out, just just explain because people listening will want to know if they've you know if they've listened this far, they're going to want to know what happens now. So what's next? Mm -hmm. Just that'll be a good way to close out. From the government perspective, I know that they have to finish establishing who are going to be the people in the new electoral tribunal which is going to be very important because we need it to be people that we can trust. Bolivia cannot have a failed election again. It would be devastating. And they that's essentially the main thing. They need to call for new elections. They need to make sure that they're clean, that they're transparent, that there are enough ways for the citizenry to do vote control and make sure that it's transparent elections. From our end, Standing Rivers will continue to work on... Because um, we've obviously been a pain for the 
Morales government, but there are many things that are happening on the local level in Santa Cruz and the municipality that need to be addressed. Team stuff that has to do with corruption and abuse of power as well and abuse of human rights mm -hmm. of people that work for the municipality. Specifically people that do kind of security of open green areas and stuff. They're being forced to work 24 hours nonstop. That's not legal. That's essentially slavery. So we're going to work on those subjects, even though it's also going to be very dangerous because we know the municipality has a lot of support by not nonviolent groups. And we've been beaten by them several times. And we will also continue working on environmental stuff. As much as we have to protest to demand the annulment of Supreme Decree 3973, we still have to work on the reforestation of the Chiquiteno area. So we're meeting with many other environmental groups to start getting the work on that. We need, we're going to need a lot of volunteers to get that done. But we also need experts because we're not experts on, on reforestations after such a devastating catastrophe. So we need to figure out what's the best non-invasive way to do this and to help Mother Earth get back on her feet without making it even more of a problem for her. And uh, we will also continue to work on conciliation. I'm very interested in speaking to groups that don't feel represented by the Petitas Revolution. This includes a lot of indigenous groups and even mass groups. I'm trying to get close to them and, and create spaces for debate where we can listen to each other and find what are the common ground that we can build on. Because I feel like if there's no conciliation after what's happened, it's, un, it's unfinished and we haven't finished our work. So. That's what's coming for Standing Rivers. Okay, and so if anyone's interested in finding out more about Standing Rivers and you, yourself and want to follow what you're doing, how do they find out? Um, we're on Twitter. Okay. We're on Twitter in Spanish, Rios de Pie, and then we created an English one. It's called Standing Rivers. Yeah, yes. I followed that. Yay! And then you can find me on Twitter as well. But yeah, I think, and we're on Facebook. Facebook, we are more oriented towards our Bolivian audience. Well, so I'll, I'll share Lots of memes. I'll share it all out in the show notes. Okay, so it's late. Yeah. <laughs> People won't realize. I appreciate you staying to do this. And also just a huge thanks for all the hospitality, organizing all the people to look after me, Edwin, Ronaldo, Carol, Alan. Um, it's It's been really wonderful to just have people to show me around. I went for a lovely lunch today with Carol and like a, a, like a traditional old house, mm -hmm. which uh, which was great. I, I had alligator. Ooh. Yeah, which was interesting. Um, <laughs> I uh, had a beer with Ronaldo yesterday, a local beer, and uh, the local sandwich, which is like a fish sandwich yep. thing. Yep. But it's been it's been really interesting. I will come back. Uh, I will go to La Paz. Please come back for the elections. I think I will. You I, should. I, I'd like to go to La Paz, but I'd also like to go out to an indigenous area. Um, but I, I wish you the best. Um, I commend you for everything you've done. And uh, yeah, Thank I you. really appreciate you uh, taking the time. Hopefully, by the time you come back, I can also get you to meet with mass supporters. Yes. I want to meet with them, too. Yes, and I won't be rushing around so much. Yes. Thank you so much for your time. I'm really happy you have a good time here. And I thank you overall for listening to us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Defiance. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Janice. I do want to say thank you to her for giving me some time out in Bolivia and also for linking me up with a few people who took me around Santa Cruz and talked to me about what was happening in Bolivia. And look, I do understand she represents one side of the story and I am going to make an attempt to get back out to Bolivia. I want to go out to La Paz. I do want to hear from the other side. As I mentioned, it's very difficult to find objective truths and the facts are quite complicated. I found myself finding both sympathies and reasons to doubt both sides of the story 
There is also clear misinformation, which reminds me of the information warfare show I made with Molly McHugh. I had people from both sides slipping into my DMs and dropping me information in preparation for the interview. And there are people who are big supporters of Evo Morales, believe he was a great leader for the country, believe he went through a fair judicial process and should have been given the right to a fourth term. And there are those who believe he is an authoritarian leader, he abused power, and he, there was vote rigging in, in the campaigns. And it's very hard to find very good information. So one example of that is the Organization of American States report on the election, which found widespread vote rigging. But since that's been released, a lot of that information has now been debunked. And this is one of the difficulties of this, just trying to find objective truth. It is very, very hard in a story such as this. So I recommend if you are interested in this, you do do your own research. There's a bunch of links in the show notes where you can find out more information. But for me, the crux of the story comes down to one or two things. Either he had become an authoritarian leader and was abusing power. I'm not entirely convinced on the opinions that this was an American coup. I didn't find enough information to support that. But it was either that or he's somebody who did follow a judicial process. Look, a constitution can change. You can go through a legal process to have terms change. So, yes, it's very complicated. There's more information in the show notes. If you want to read more up on it, I suggest you go there. And if you've got any feedback, you want to talk to me about this, my email address is peter at defiance.news. Also, I need to say a big thanks to my sponsor, Kraken, the best place to buy Bitcoin, consistently rated the best and most secure cryptocurrency exchange. Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy, sell, and trade Bitcoin. Find out more at kraken.com. Also, if you want to support the show, there's a number of things you can do. Please leave me a review on iTunes and subscribe to the show, follow the show on social media, or share it out with your friends and family. If you have any questions about the show, then please feel free to email me on peter at defiance.news.